Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, before we launch into today's podcast, let me first say thank you so very much for all these five-star reviews we're getting on iTunes. Thank you so much. Please keep them coming. Thank you to some of the latest, Robin Dini, for declaring that this is a great resource for parents. To Philly Girl 2, who said every topic is mission critical to raising a healthy family and healthy community and society. People think communication should be easy, but it's all in the perspective. Dr. Robin gives you the tools to do it right. And one more, DJ Hart, who wrote Dr. Robin Silverman, makes it easy to understand and discuss even the trickiest of subjects. A family is in our near future, and these conversations help us believe that we can do this. Thank you for providing attainable information and realistic solutions. Well, wow, thank you very much to our amazing listeners. You are amazing, and you're so awesome to keep coming back week after week and getting the information that you need to connect with your children in your life as parents, as teachers, as coaches. Please keep those five-star reviews coming. They keep people able to really find our podcast and get to hear our amazing guests like today's sports and competitive activities can offer an active path for children to get healthy become self-confident and strengthen their social skills so how can we help kids handle the pressures felt by many young athletes how can parents and coaches provide kids with the best shot at reaching their dreams without somehow losing themselves? Today, we have the opportunity to discuss how to create realistic expectations for kids, help them to succeed, not just in sports, but in all aspects of their life, improve their game day performance, reduce the stress of dealing with their coaches, their ambitions, their losses, and what better but to get the perspective from a sports icon and a neuropsychologist who works with professional athletes to help us know how to raise kids to succeed in sports and in life. Christy Pierce Rampone is the most decorated American professional soccer player of all time. She has played in five FIFA Women's World Cups winning in 1999 and 2015. In addition, she's a four-time Olympian and three-time Olympic gold medalist. Currently, Pierce Rampone is an active speaker, coach, and sports commentator. She is a sports mom of two girls and has coached professional high school and club soccer teams, as well as youth basketball teams. Dr. Christine Keene is a neuropsychologist who has been working with professional athletes, physicians, and mental health clinicians for the past 20 years. Dr. Keene is an owner, developer, and clinical director of two multi-specialty neuropsychological private practices and a clinical director of the Neuroscience Concussion Program at Hackensack Meridian Health. She is also the sports mom of two boys and a girl who play soccer, basketball, and run track. So welcome, Christy and Christine, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Hi, Robin. Thanks for having us. Well, I'm thrilled to have both of you. I feel like just incredibly lucky, and I know all of our fans out there who are also soccer fans and sports fans, and we have so many coaches who listen to this show. I'm sure they're freaking out, so I'm so thrilled. <laughs> Before we get into all of the nitty gritty, for those who haven't met you, they haven't read your book, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you both so interested in helping young people to succeed in sports and in life, find that passion and encourage them to build on that rather than focus on winning? Yeah, I would have to say like being, both being sports mom and 
you know, through all our experience with myself playing at the highest level, as well as Dr. Keen on the clinical side and having that science background, you know, we just came together because we wanted to help change the climate of sports. And, you know, in the reference of it being way too emotional and we felt like kids weren't really able to, you know, guide their own journey to the, the sport that they wanted to play and they were getting interfered and there's so many distractions on the pressures and the anticipation of, you know, maybe trying to earn a scholarship or win, you know, certain awards. So we just wanted to take and help alleviate those pressures from the kids by helping to educate the parents mm-hmm. along the way, because it is a, it's a fun process and it's a great journey through sports, but at the same time, it can be very, um, pressure. It's a lot of pressure on the parents to make sure that they put them in their right position to succeed. And so we're just hopefully through the book can help um, alleviate some of those stresses on parents. Your book is be all in, and it is so important that we are helping our kids to embrace sports, not just because the end game is supposed to be winning, quote unquote, but because of all of these great skills that they acquire, because of what it helps them to become later on in life, how it challenges their mental strength and their accountability and all those great things that you explore in your book. Can you first just tell us what do you think it means to be all in? Well, for Dr. Kina, we just felt that being all in was just being present in the moment, you mm-hmm. know, and, and being able to express yourself in that moment. Um, and you can have that, that balance mm-hmm. in life. Um, obviously, being a mother and playing at the highest level, like you can't be truly all in in one thing. You want to be completely all in when you're in that, you know, when I'm on the field, I'm in with my team. And when I'm at home, I'm a mom and I'm all in with as being a mother. So just being fully present at the time. The term be all in actually came from Christy used to use it when she spoke. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really, you know, I'm sure you read the first, her first story. And it yes. really, one of the things I was so impressed about when I got to talking with Christy was how um, she really brought so many things to a team she brought her family there. She brought, she was all in, in all spheres of her life. So she, she really had a great balance. She was still able to have a family while she was playing, at, you know, at the professional level, you know, playing on the world stage. Um, and she was able to balance those things. And, you know, we really, we, we wanted to bring some awareness and, and mindfulness. We teach that a lot to the athletes to be mindful of their teammates, of their parents. So that's what all in, you know, we get so focused on, winning and trophies and championships and scholarships. And um, so be all in is really about like being there in all spheres of your life, not mm-hmm. just teaching, just technical. Well, we want to talk about development right. and, and, and how does the sport affect your family and your friends and your psychosocial development. So, so when we, when we came up with be all in, we thought that was a really appropriate title because it's, bringing yourself and everything, all spheres of your life to the game. Excellent. Excellent. That makes a lot of sense. It's about being present, but also being aware of how your choices uh, Mm -hmm. create consequences for others at the same time. Absolutely. So let's talk about the role of parents in youth sports. In November of 2018, you quote in your book, and it was a New York Times article that talked about why parents behave so poorly during sporting events. The Mm -hmm. author noted that youth organizations are reporting increases in parents who yell and fight and threaten and harass coaches, referees, other parents, even players during games. And I wrote on the top of one of my pages in that chapter, what message are we sending to kids during sporting events and what message do we want to send? So let's talk about the way we are communicating during sporting events through our behavior, through our, um, what we're saying, through what we're doing, through our body language and the message that uh, that behavior sends and what really we want to convey at the end of the day during competitions so that they are more enjoyable and everyone, including your own kid, gets more out of it. Absolutely. We talk, uh, you know, you always talk a lot about role models in life and a lot of people look at it has to be a professional athlete, but the true role models for your children are their parents and within their family and how you act and the way you conduct yourself on the field 
and how emotional get your, your children are watching that. The athletes are watching that as well as coach and, and teammates. So it's all encompassing on, you know, a lot of times you don't really have to say much if you actually just observe and watch and are aware of your intentions out there. And that's what we're trying to make parents aware of is like, you are the role model for your children and how you're acting and how intent you are to game and, you know, kind of just self-reflecting and, you know, sitting back and saying, what is my relationship with sports? And what is my relationship? What is my child's relationship with sports? And does it compare? And that's where you have to kind of come from within the family and see that relationship and make sure you guys are on the same page when you step outside to go to um, an athletic event to just make sure you're on the same page of what your child's getting out of it and, and what your family's getting out of it. What would you say it's doing to the brain and that child's attitude when we are yelling at the people around us about how our child is playing, how the coach mm-hmm. is reacting, how the other players are playing or not playing? What does it do to their psyche? I think there are multiple ways of answering that question when we talk about um, neuroscience. One of the things that we often talk about with all of the yelling that goes on in the field is how the brain processes your attention span. So you're really dividing the child's attention span to the yelling parent, you have the teammate, you have the coach. Mm. So so the more you divide a person's attention span, uh, the less able they are to perform. And we know that from, you know, research on attention span brain. So we are doing that to our child. Then there's the other, the other thing that we're looking at would be, say, your limbic system response to being yelled at during a game. So now you're playing from the emotional side of your game because maybe you're upset because mom or dad are yelling negatives at you. And now you're playing um, and, and you're not playing using your frontal lobes, which, you, you know, if you're relaxed out there, you know, you, you're, you're better able to access your higher order thinking or your abstract reasoning, which you need to play the game at a very high level. So, we are, you know, you are affecting your child's brain and how they're able to perform out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of voices to listen mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. We talk about, uh, you know, when, when, when you're on the phone. Uh, and your kids are small and you're like, I can't, con- I can't do two things at once. <laughs> right. So yes. that's what, that's what we're doing when we're yelling, you know, yes. yelling the negatives. And, you know, we talk about this a lot. It's an emotional game that you're mm-hmm. not every once in a while, you're going to type a few things out. But if you're coaching and the coach is coaching and then you have your teammates and you might have your center defender yelling at you, yeah. you know, there's a lot going on there. That is the truth. I remember when I was presenting on that very topic and uh, I, I got a big reaction from the coaches when I was talking about how a, a lot of parents like to coach from the sidelines and say, you know, like the kid is trying to pay attention to the coach, but like maybe their, their eyes wandered for a second and then the parent is like catches their eye and they're, you know, they're waving their hands and stuff and they're pointing and they're like, mm-hmm. pay attention. And you're like, that <laughs> yeah. is like completely the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, I, I agree with you. And, you know, our, our behavior does have a profound effect on our kids, not just because it divides their attention, but also because the, the children are invested in their parents as well. They're invested in the game. They're invested in their coach. And when the parent is putting that other layer in there, now the kids are feeling like maybe I'm disappointing my parent or the parents upset. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it divides and them on another level. To first. Like your, right? your, your inclination is to pay attention or listen to or obey mom and dad first over the coach. Exactly. Right. Most kids yes. and most kids are parent pleasers, you know, so then it, it makes it uncomfortable for them. Do I listen to my coach? Do I listen to my parent? Do I listen to my teammate? And it still, ha- that still happens even at the professional level, more so on the coach and the teammate, you know, you're getting mismatched messages and, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, those are the times that a child needs to learn how to problem solve and like kind of handle those situations on their own. But it's, it's challenging because as a coach myself, my number one rule is you never coach on the ball. You know, think about like you're dribbling a ball, you're looking ahead to maybe like what your next move's going to be. And you have a coach yelling at you and a, and a player yelling at you and a parent. Like, what decision are you going to make? It's probably mm. most likely going to be the wrong one if you're telling someone what to do at that present time. All coaching and all, like, 
instruction should be off the ball. And that's in any, any sport because the problem solving, it's too quick. You see something so fast that a player can't see. And then after you say it, then the player athlete reacts and they make that pass. It's stolen. Then you see the parents' arms go up. You see the players, coaches, and then it gets more emotional. Like, how did you, didn't you see that? But you have to take a step back as a coach and a parent and realize, like, could you do that in that moment? Like, yeah. So if you, if you think about it, like picture somebody going up for a layup and midair, the parents are yelling at them. Mm-hmm. And really midair, what are you going to do? You've already made all the decisions. Right. right. Oh, really valid. all the time. Yeah. yeah. So responsibility and accountability, that's something that I like to talk about a lot. And I feel like I, I was just so happy to see it in your book. There are such mm-hmm. important concepts in sports and in life. And I think sports sometimes gives an opportunity to exercise those kinds of things, responsibility and accountability, so that you can apply it to life. Mm-hmm. We want kids to do the job that they said they would do, take ownership right. of it. If it's not done to the best of their ability, not fully done or not done at all. I really liked the idea of moving away from whose fault it was that something went wrong, but instead mm-hmm. asking kids to look at their role in every situation so that they can look for solutions rather than problems. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, just, you know, I think it starts at um, a young age of having the responsibility to, from from the start of like packing your own bag to getting to practice on time and you know, not making excuses of why you may be late or why you forgot your shin guards. And it, you know, it starts there to realize like, if you're going to be an athlete, you're committed to that sport. As a parent, you try to help, you know, guide your child into how to prepare themselves for practice and a game. And then, you know, holding them accountable because that's where it starts and creating healthy habits for them to realize like how to prepare for something that you truly do love and are passionate about. And it, you know, I think it, once it starts at a young age, it becomes, you create good habits and then you understand like, um, and take responsibility for when you may make a mistake or when you are wrong. And, you know, and it's, and it's a constant um, learning curve as well. Like, you know, during this quarantine time, I'm coaching my oldest daughter and, you know, we had Zoom calls and trying to still continue to learn the game because we couldn't be together to play. And mm-hmm. the girls had to you know, text us the, the topic they wanted to address. And, you know, my daughter did not text one, one time and she mm-hmm. did not get allowed into that meeting. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, I can't believe you did that to your daughter. I'm like, but it's responsibility. Like it was her responsible, you know, she was responsible for bringing up the topic. She didn't. So I held her accountable and I didn't allow her into to the call. And, you know, she learned from that. And now, you know, I don't think she'll ever forget to, to uh, bring up another topic, but it, you know, it just shows like, you know, I care about it. You care about it. Like we have to do it as a team and, and hold each other you know, accountable for um, your actions. So Christy, what about in the situation where, and I've heard this before too, where a child gets to the field or for other people who are interested, who are coming mm-hmm. from uh, the kids performing on a mat, gymnastics, martial arts, or uh, cheer. We have a lot of those listening in too. Right. If they are coming to their sporting event and they find that they don't have whatever equipment that they need because, oh, my dad has it in his mm. car or my mom forgot to, you know, get my mouth guard or put it in right. my bag. What is then the answer to that? Because it's very easy for kids mm-hmm. to not only blame parents, but for parents oh, to take responsibility for that as well. Yeah. As, as a coach, when the athlete comes to me and, and does accuse their parent, I didn't, I always come back with the same response. I didn't realize that your, your mother or your father was on this team. <laughs> and they're like, they look at you and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, Oh, well, did they forget their shin guards? Like they're supposed to be playing you know, the same thing. Like in an individual sport athlete, you know, whether they've got their tennis racket or their equipment, you know, that's a, it's the same response of like, it kind of catches home with the athlete a little bit, like, cause there's no response back to that question. It's like, okay, now I have to be responsible for my own equipment. You know, same thing with like forgetting their water. That's a huge part of being prepared for the sport because you have to stay hydrated, especially Mm -hmm. when you're outside in the heat, you know, Mm -hmm. as well as, you know, 
any athlete. And, you know, you just have to make sure like you do truly make sure you have that communication with the athlete because, you know, they, they have to repair themselves because mommy and daddy are not always going to be there. So you want them to be able to say, not necessarily blame themselves, but to be able to say, it is my responsibility. I Mm -hmm. forgot my water. And the next time I will make sure I put it by the door and take ownership of that instead of asking my mom to fill it and bring it to the car. Right. Right. Because it's their, their love, right? They're the ones that are committing to the sport. So they should be the ones that are preparing themselves Mm because they have to learn how to prepare themselves because like we do in school, I always go back and reflect back to, you know, your schoolwork, you prepare yourself for your test, you know, and you have to, you know, go over the work that you learned in school to, in order to pass that test. And it's the mm-hmm. same thing in sports. And it's going to be the same thing after sports. And it's mm-hmm. trying to find your identity and you don't want your identity just to be who you are on the soccer field, mm. on the mat, in the court. Like you want to have that identity outside and those great habits and those good routines will help maintain who you are in the latter part of your life. Mm. That's a meme. Thank you. That was beautiful. That was beautifully said. We talk a lot about mental toughness also in sports and you, you guys have a a chapter on mental toughness and I really appreciated that. We all need to learn how to be mentally strong. You talk about positive thinking and self-efficacy as well as specific strategies that help build mental toughness in kids. And let's live there for a moment. Tell us as parents and as coaches, how can our listeners then build mental toughness in our kids? Like what are the practices perhaps that they can use in order to help kids cope with the emotional frustrations that come with playing sports and dealing with many life situations? Uh, one of the, one of the uh, primary, um, primary things that we talk about in terms of mental toughness is the self-talk, mm-hmm. the mindset. So seeing wins and losses the same way um, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. So we really dig into a lot of the thinking, talking about how, you know, structurally and chemically a thought can change your brain mm-hmm. um, and, and how dire that is for, for parents to teach that. So we, you know, we, we delve into specifically like not positive self-talk, like tell your kids a bunch of positives that maybe aren't true or is a bunch of fluff that no one actually believes in. Mm-hmm. Um, that you, you talk about things that are um, realistic for them, that they can say to themselves and um, talk about things that, you know, so, so you're not masking negatives with positivity, mm. you know, that you're, that you're teaching kids to see things as learning opportunities. So that, that would be the primary thing that we talk about. And then we get very specific about um, things like, um, teaching them how, you know, stop techniques when they are having negative thoughts. Like a lot of kids don't realize that when they're having a negative thought that maybe you can't control it popping into your head. Like, Oh my, Oh my goodness, this girl's bigger than me mm-hmm. or we're going to lose. Look at that team. They're so scary. You might not be able to control that thought that pops in, but what, what you want to teach the kids is you can control what comes next. So you don't have to keep having that thought. In fact, you can replace that thought. Mm. Or you can change your story. So we, we you know, we, we talk a lot about that. Like, um, you know, if it rains on a mm-hmm. soccer field, that sets you up for more tackles. So that's, that's realistic. We're not, we're not, you know, glossing over something with a positive. So we, oh. we talk about word washing. Um, so not using the term anxiety and using the term excitement instead. Mm. Uh, so so there, there are a lot of different strategies that you can teach kids, but it's really not that mindset that we dig into. Christine, let's let's do a couple of those switchovers that you were just talking about so that those who are listening can really put that to the test when they're uh, coaching or when they're, uh, their parents listening to their own kids. So if a child is saying to themselves, like you were saying, like, I'm, I'm really afraid of this other team or this other competitor because they are bigger, or faster or better or more experienced or more skilled than I am. How can we help them to switch that statement to something that is realistic not fluffy, but at least realistic and not so anxiety provoking? So talking about 
anxiety as being normal and, and real and that that is that represents your passion for the game and what you're doing and that you can help them see it as excitement for mm-hmm. what's about to happen next. So I'm excited to play some really good competition. You know, we're right. going to play a great team. Let's get excited about that we're, we have the opportunity to do this. Or, you know, nervousness as enthusiasm. So I'm enthusiastic about playing on a new team. That's why I'm having these feelings. And you, you can actually teach kids that the, the body's going to react the same way. So like, you know, you're afraid to maybe play on a new team. Well, your body's going to react the same way when you go on a roller coaster. But you're having mm. fun when you're doing that. So you can really teach them to, to see it as excitement, enthusiasm. This is my passion. This is normal. This is how I get up for the game. So we might change something like I'm so nervous about making a mistake to I'm really excited about playing this game and trying something new. Yeah. Or I'm excited about this is, this is going to give me new learning opportunities. Every time I fail, I learn something new. So, so it's great Mm -hmm. to play uh, difficult competition or new competition because if, if there are fails along that way, then there's also, you know, teaching moments, learning moments. All right. And as a, as a, like from a coaching perspective, if a child brings up afraid to make mistakes and mm-hmm. I, I always come back to saying mistakes are part of the game. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it, you know, enjoyable and fun and creative. Like it's going to happen. You have your teammates around you to help and support kind of when you're talking about nerves, I always say like, I'm, I'm happy you're nervous. I'm glad you're nervous. It means you care. It means like this matters to you. So nerves are really good. Like I always got nervous before games because it meant something to me because I prepared so much and practice for the week that the games, I kind of had those butterflies, but that's, that's great stuff, mm. you know, and kind of convincing them like that's, that's a positive, not a negative. Because it shows how much you are invested and how much you care. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so let's build on that just a little bit more with this idea of making mistakes, because in the book, you, you guys actually say all sports are made up of mistakes and you repeat Absolutely. it twice. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I, and I love that. And yet many times sports seem to be made up of kids being told what they did wrong on the field or on the mat or in the court by their parents. So let's talk Mm. about chatting on the car ride home because this is, you know, you're in this closed vehicle and it is often very tempting for parents who have been watching, know their kid is really invested. They want to perform well. Give us the do's and don'ts of what to say and what not to say right after your child has been competing in event in an event when you're in the car. So one thing that we, we want parents to consider is perhaps no game discussion on the way home if mm-hmm. it creates family conflicts. So kids come off the game, come off the field, come off a court um, in that fight or flight mode a lot of the time, whether it's a win or a loss. So emotions run real high after a game. So many kids are not thinking rationally after a game and they need time to heal from the field. And a lot of parents don't give their kids that time because they're so excited and they want to hear what the coach said, or they want to ask why they didn't pass the ball or why they didn't take that shot. But for many kids, it's not the time. There needs to be this space where the child can heal and um, restore to their parasympathetic nervous system or, or, you know, in other words, calm down, relax, and be able to think rationally about the game. And for some kids, it means, the 24-hour rules, you know, talk to them the next day about it. Um, some kids are excited to talk about the game. Uh, so, you know, we always, we always talk about each kid's going to be very different, different after a game. They might be passionate and want to speak to parents, but a lot of kids do need that time. So just having a little bit of space when they get into that car can really make a difference in terms of the kind of conversation you'll get to have. You, you get a lot more out of your kid if you could give them a little bit of space. So Christine, then in that case, like here's a tempting situation. Your child gets in the car, their emotions are running high. They feel like they cost the game, the competition, whatever. And they say, I don't know what I did wrong. Now you've just been watching them. Now, what do you and say? You know exactly instead? what they've done wrong. <laughs> right? Because you know what exactly what happened. So now the temptation is there because it's almost like, you know, you've been led to this conversation. So what do we do instead of 
launching into this critique of what exactly happened in from your point of view so from my point of view that's the time to kind of take a temperature on their emotions so you know let's say they did miss the penalty kick or they did you know do something that helped the team lose the game um and you and maybe there's a teaching moment there but if you see that your child is very emotional that could be the time to just reflect on their feelings mm. And let them talk about it. So what, what did that feel like for you? You seem so upset. What, what went on out there? Mm-hmm. You know, if they want to talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, let them talk about their feeling. Let, let them emote without having that reaction or that response right away. Because they're probably alone, not asking for your advice in this moment, right? No. Yeah. Or they're looking for your validation. Like, the validation, yeah. You know, like, you know, they're, there, there are other teammates out there, you know, it's not all about what you just did, you know, you, you all lost the game or, you know, um, and they might be looking for that, but really, again, I keep calling it space, which is kind of. It's like a transitional soccer, moment, you know, like it's a transitional moment from the field to the car. And that's like kind of their space in the car to, to express mm-hmm. themselves. And I always say, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be emotional. Like you've, you have put so much work into it. So if you are upset about a game, that's okay. But I always say you have the car ride to get over it. You know, you have the car ride to kind of think about it and reflect on it. And then once we get into our next transition moment, like whether it's getting back to the house or going somewhere else, like we have to move on. And then we can revisit what just happened. And I always, you know, say to my girls is, you know, let's, you know, you can reflect back on practice on Tuesday with your coach, you know, maybe find out ways that you could have done something better, how you mm-hmm. could have helped the team better. And I always make it about their individual um, commitment to the team and maybe what happened on the field and not allowing the conversation to draw towards other teammates or blaming refs or blaming coaches because the game is, there's a lot of minutes in a game and we can't just reflect on one moment. There's so many, there could have been so many great moments, but they don't want to hear about that. They're just funneling into maybe that negative moment and we have to, make them aware there are so many other great things that happened in the game and that we can reflect and talk about it at a, really a later time. Their moment or mm-hmm. their mistake. So, you, you know, you want to get As well as parents. Open yeah. yeah, as well as parents. So, Christy, you know, I've heard before from, from people in sports that mm-hmm. really our role as parents after the game is to simply say, I love watching you play. What do you think about that? Do we have more of a role than, than that? Or mm-hmm. is that good advice? I think it, it depends. It's family per family. I really don't think there's like that one size fits all. It depends on your relationship with sports and the, the, the understanding of the game, the awareness of your child. And it goes, it goes from there. So like my conversation on the car ride home could be different than Dr. Keene's just because of the awareness of, of the game, but within anything, there's going to be emotion, but the conversation has to only be on what you've learned or what the takeaways from the game should be, not on getting away from blaming, you know, teammates, coaches, and refs. Cause I think that's where the emotion gets crazy. And then it, it interferes with relationships on um, with your child and maybe their other teammates. If you're constantly, talking about another athlete on their team or Mm -hmm. if you're constantly talking negative about their coach they're not going to trust that process you know and the whole thing is a journey and so if you can get to see the big picture of you know maybe you know the teammate that was being more vocal or like was upsetting in the game you don't know what was going on with their life like kind of pulling your child away from the actual game in itself and making them aware of like there's more out there in life than just you know, the game of soccer, basketball, whether, you know, mm-hmm. obviously gymnastics, like just mm-hmm. making them like kind of human to realize right. like, hey, like maybe she just was having a bad day or he was having a bad day. But having those like thoughtful conversations, I think, takes away, you know, the wins and losses and the emotion behind it sometimes. So having the confidence to get back up and try again mm-hmm. is something that we often say, but isn't easy. We all know 
about, as we talked about before, that inner voice inside our heads. And it often Mm -hmm. tells us things like we're not good enough and smart enough and fit enough or thin enough or buff enough or whatever else (laughs) it's yapping into our our inner ear, especially when we're we're competing and we're often fraught with competition and comparisons. So tell us how we can help kids shift what they are thinking and saying to themselves in those moments when they are looking at everybody else, feeling Mm -hmm. like they're not enough and dealing with mistakes and failure and frustration and maybe even several bad competitions in a row. Now they're building up that story we were just talking about, about how they just suck. Mm -hmm. So, So how can we help them to build that confidence even while all that is happening and they're comparing themselves to everyone else. Yeah. Confidence is, is what makes or breaks us. Right. And what I've learned through my experience is that you're really truly the only person that can take away that confidence. And when you can learn and how to adjust and adapt to that inner voice and realizing it's okay that that inner voice can be negative at times and that your confidence is hit, but then you truly make that final choice and how you want to react to maybe those, those negative inner voices and just not, like trying not to compare yourself to others. And I say this to my athletes all the time, like no two players play the game alike, see the game, have the same athletic ability. So you're individually trying to grow and get better individually for yourself internally. And once you start comparing yourself to others, it just leads to lack of confidence, even depression, like, you know, always wanting to be something you're not like, just be okay with who you are. And you're trying to adapt and grow to make yourself better and the the players around you within within you're on a team sport. So it's building that acceptance of yourself and always trying to continue to learn and grow with the game because your role is constantly changing. Mm -hmm. Every year, your role can change on on the field mm-hmm. and I've experienced that throughout my career and it's something that I've grasped on probably a little later than I, I wished but at least I acknowledged at one point I was comparing myself to too many other athletes and that wasn't fair on myself and mm-hmm. I realized it was such a distraction to who I truly was on the field and when I learned to just embrace who I was and like my strengths and weaknesses I became the best player that I could be for my team. I seem to remember one of the stories in your book about a a child who was, who was like not understanding why he wasn't being played, you know, mm-hmm. kept being like sort of taken out of the game. And, and, and then there was an approach to the, to the coach. And it turns out that the coach had very high views of this child um, and was trying to build his mental toughness this like whole time, you know, it wasn't about, right. it wasn't about uh, the fact that he wasn't playing well it was that the coach was really focused on helping that child to gain that strength and that mental strength and, mm-hmm. and emotion, get emotionally strong. So I think that's really interesting. What you're saying is that our role changes, but even it's not just a role. It's actually like even what we need to work on at that particular Absolutely. time, mm-hmm. right? Right. Well, and also, how does the parent react to the, to the lack of playing time? Mm-hmm. And then that's going to affect the child's confidence as well. So we right. carefully place that story in the book to, to teach the idea that um, sometimes coaches are doing things to a team, to a child that may look one way to you, but they may have a whole different plan or strategy that you're not aware of. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, a lot of times they say like the playing time affects the parents more than the <laughs> children. And then your confidence comes from your, your, your self-talk, you know, your inner dialogue and your inner dialogue is formed from a very young age by the primary stakeholders, your parents, the people around you. And then that goes back to, you know, our earlier discussion of what are you saying to your child while they're playing or when they get in the car after, Mm -hmm. and are you, are you critiquing them? Because then they become their own biggest critic, you know, so you, You are part of that. You know, obviously there's nature nurture, but just to raise awareness of, you know, what is the coach doing? Maybe they're, they're not giving them playing time because they're at that moment teaching them something else like mental toughness. Right. It's, and it's a matter of 
these kids now interpreting the, it, the what's going on through your lens as a parent, right. which may be incorrect. <laughs> so right. it's, it's important then as, as you mentioned in the book for that child to then be curious and be accountable and mm-hmm. be the ones who step forward and, and speak up for themselves. In that case of that story, though, he really wasn't getting the answer. And the parents did come to the coach. But instead of being accusatory, they took a different approach. What's the approach that you think that parents should take if they aren't understanding a strategy that the coach is taking and they want to understand it better? Yeah, first I have to you have to see is like, what is the aim, the end game for a parent putting their child in sport? Is it just primarily winning? Is it just for like success for like, you know, a scholarship? You know, there's so many different ways you can succeed in sports with other than just winning. And I think that's where parents become uneasy with like, like Dr. Keene said, maybe the playing time or unaware of the approach of the coach from the coaching aspect, which I've been on the field, you know, for over 20 years, like there's so much that goes on in, on the training pitch um, and the environment that the, the child creates throughout the week to maybe lessen or gain more playing time. You know, I'm very um, super open with my athletes. Like you have to earn it. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're only as good as your last game. So when you show up on, um, you know, over the week, like you still have to continue to grow and get better. And, you know, from like an like eye roll, you might not get a lot more playing time mm. or like just the way you're treating maybe another teammate, you know, with like lack of respect and maybe the game plan or not buying in. Like it's a part of like a growing process and how to commu- communicate with others. And all of that plays into the effect of game day and playing mm-hmm. time. Because honestly, for myself as a coach, I feel like the, the winning is a byproduct of the development. And if I can develop the kids to problem solve and um, on real game time and real game time moments, make their own decisions rather than me screaming and yelling at them from the sidelines, Mm. like that's my goal. But everything that goes on through the week is included and who gets more playing time on that day and maybe who's just having a better game. So Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. hard because parents only see game day. So maybe they should be not, not approaching the coach at all in many cases and just let it play. Yeah. I would say the only time you really should approach a coach is if your child is really emotionally unstable and having Mm -hmm. a really tough time Mm -hmm. where you need to then interject and, you know, have a, an open meeting with the coach because you Mm -hmm. don't want to see a child that is not happy and put in an environment where they cannot succeed. And if Mm -hmm. they're put in an environment where they can't succeed, the communication has to be amongst yourself and the coach. And if you can't come to a conclusion, then that's what maybe you look um, at mm-hmm. elsewhere, maybe joining a different team because you want to put your child in the, the best situation to be successful. So if you could finish the sentence for me, the number one thing that helps kids succeed in sports is? I would, oh, there's so many. Um, I'd just probably say confidence, their true authentic, just being their true authentic self. Mm-hmm instead of being trying to bend themselves to what you think everybody else wants to see or wants you exactly. to be. Exactly. We always say attitude is everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. We want like you are, you know, we say like you are good enough. If you could, if a child could just keep saying that to themselves and eliminate all the other distractions around them. Mm-hmm. So that when they step on the field, it's like, you are who you are today. Go out and just enjoy it. Have fun. You know, take what you've learned try to implement it in the fields. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a loss or mistakes, you work on it the next day and you just try to become better each and every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Give us your top tip. What do you want people to come away with after listening to what we're talking about, after understanding the principles that you talk about in the book about how to succeed in life and in sports? Mm-hmm. What would you say is the top tip? Each one of you can take a, take a stab at that one. For, um, I would just say like trust and establish the process mm. between the parent and the child and just enjoy the journey because it doesn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. Success doesn't come, you know, and everybody's path to success looks very different. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I would say taking the time out to figure out what your family goals and your family values are, because it is so easy to get swept up in the youth sports culture, especially if you have a child that's talented. Um, and we get into spending a lot of family time, resources, energy, emotions, finances into youth sports. And we can get swept up in that and not look at, not, not evaluate whether that's aligned with what our original intention was for mm-hmm. our children and our family. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, for some families, five practices a week, four games over the weekend, splitting up is exciting and fun. For other families, it might mean that the third child's being dragged along. Right. So, it, it, so it's a really good thing to kind of take a step back. Um, we talk about writing a family mission statement mm. and that everyone in the family is involved in looking at, you know, what, how do we want our childhood to look like? What mm-hmm. do, how do we function as a family? What's important to us? Because it's so easy to be swept up in, you know, we've got to do additional trainings and we've got to get on this higher level team, which means now we're traveling to different states. And is that what you want? And because at the end, the finish line for a lot of families is high school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of families are looking for, are we going to play in college? And very few are going to play in college and even a fewer uh, amount of kids are going to continue on to playing professionally. So that to me was... Uh, one of the, one of the, um, I guess, most inspiring things for us in terms of writing this book and getting that message out, like, like, there's a whole script that we can get caught up in, or we can kind of be mindful and step back and say, you know, are we all in for the reasons we wanted to be? Mm, I think that's really genius. That whole idea of the family mission statement makes so much sense so that everybody is on the same page. I still remember asking my mom when I was younger, Actually, it was like, I guess it was maybe, maybe in college or even after that I said, I was, I did a lot of acting when I was younger. And I said, why didn't we go into New York City and like, you know, have me do some more stuff like, uh, you know, try out for Broadway and do it. And my mom was like, you know, I had two other kids too. And for us, it was important for us to spend time as a family, for everybody to have fun doing whatever activity that they wanted, but not for us to, you know, focus so much on any one child so much that it, it negated what the other two mm-hmm. were doing. And so, of course, that's going to be different for everybody, and that's fine. But it was an eye-opener for me as, you know, maybe a young 20-something or, or a, a late teen wondering why my parents made the decision that, that they made thinking to myself at that particular moment, like, Oh, I wonder what would have happened if we, you did pursue all this. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. it was just eye opening for me. And I think that that idea of that mission statement, just to keep those values in mind, what it is that you're going after so that your choices align with your goals and your actions mm-hmm. instead right. of it, get the, as you said, get swept up in sort of the limelight of it all. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Give us the resource of the week. Where could we go to get more information about you, your book, and the work you're doing? So our, our book is um, available anywhere where you can buy books. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Target, Walmart. Um, we have a website, beallinbook.com. And you can go on that website and kind of see where the books will be, are being sold. Right. Be All In is the name of the book, correct? Be All In, Raising Kids for Success in Sports and Life. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, It's a a really enjoyable book. I felt like it gave more strategies. And of course, your stories, Christy, are so good, you know, just coming from your perspective as an athlete and a coach and Christine, where you're providing this insight into the brain as a neuropsychologist and, and really helping us to understand what's going on in that child's head as we are thinking and behaving and talking about sports and success in life. So thank you so very much for being on the show today. I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your insights and your strategies. Thank you for having us. Yeah, Robin. Thank you, Robin. 
It's my pleasure. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook, go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page, or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. I'll be going back and forth with Christy and Christine, um, creating memes of some of the great things they said. I know you probably heard them <laughs> too, so that you can share them with your people and your friends and they can see these great quotes. And maybe they would also tune into the podcast podcast to hear what Christy and Christine are saying, because I think it's really important as our children are engaging in sports and hopefully, given this year how strange it is, hopefully getting back into the swing of things. We know we love that. And if you love this podcast, I hope you'll go up to iTunes again and rate and review it. It's so important so that people can hear about the strategies that Christy and Christine are providing and that they learn about the podcast and really become great listeners just like you. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this, you're here, you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. Perhaps you heard something today that Christy or Christine said that really resonated with you, that you want to use with your own children, that you realize maybe you did something in a way that wasn't the best way. That's okay. Just like sports, parenting, you can try again. We're going to fail. We're going to fall and we're going to get back up and we're going to try again. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. been listening to how to talk to kids about anything with dr robin silverman for more information on books articles speaking engagements or curriculum please visit drrobinsilverman.com